please open your Bibles to 1 John this morning. And again, like I said, we're just going to basically ask a series of questions as we go through the scriptures this morning. A series of questions. And the title of this would basically be The Signs of Salvation. Or really, in other words, The Assurance of Salvation. Okay, the book of 1 John. Book of 1 John. Have your Bibles open there and we will begin. We'll pray and then we'll get started, okay? Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to bathe in the scriptures. Uh, Lord, to, to see what the tests of salvation are. Uh, to know that we are truly uh, your children is one of the greatest comforts that we could ever have on this side of heaven and on in through eternity. Uh, so Lord, would you be glorified in this hour of examination of heart and even the joy of the believer's heart? Would you be glorified? Lord, grant uh, comfort to uh, the Karen's family as they are uh, sick this morning, uh, that you would um, comfort them and restore them quickly. And uh, Father, would you be magnified this morning? In your name we ask it. Amen. Amen. So, the book of 1 John. Have your Bibles open to 1 John. One of the most common questions in the Christian life, one of the most often received questions that most pastors everywhere receive is this. How do I know I'm truly saved? How do I know that I truly have genuine saving faith? Help me, pastor. Do I have eternal life? I'm struggling. I'm wrestling. I'm questioning. I'm doubting. That is one of the number one questions to this very day that is asked among believers, true believers, everywhere. Now, just a couple quick questions here. Um, have you ever doubted your salvation? Raise your hand. Okay, yeah, m most of us here, at some point or another in the road of sanctification, you have doubted, you have wrestled, you have wrangled. Question, what are some reasons why Christians doubt their salvation? What are some of those reasons? They struggle with temptation. Temptation. Absolutely. What else? Guilt of sin. What's that? Guilt of sin. Not worth it. Not worth it. Amen. Yeah. Guilt of sin. What else? Re False standards of righteousness, okay? Good, yes. <laughs> You're starting to feel it now? It's starting to maybe <laughs> causing you to, re to recall those, those moments, those times, those seasons in your Christian life? Yep, mm-hmm. What else? What are some other reasons why you and I have, have doubted our salvation? Okay, you truly weren't saved. You thought you were, but you weren't. Good. Yeah, Rebecca. Didn't feel, a feel a certain way. You don't feel a certain way. Feelings, right? Okay. 
<clears throat> Good. What else? Too much self-reliance. Oh, man. Now, now we're... Now the snowball, we're, we're, we're on a roll now. Keep going. <laughs> Any other reasons that you can think of? We think we have to work. Yes. Work for our salvation. We think we have to work for it. Okay, good. Yes. Good. Too much Kool-Aid. Of the world. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Amen. Good. Good. <laughs> Would have, could have, should have. Okay. Yep. That goes back. That goes back into the realm of guilt again, and feeling I can't. I can't do enough. I can't work to get, to gain this salvation, or to even keep this salvation? Yeah. What about you've been under false teaching or bad teaching? It kind of goes into the realm of the the world as well. Or even maybe, Paul, kind of how you mentioned um, you, you just weren't. And, and, and by the Spirit of God, by his, his, the illumination of the Spirit through his word, uh, you, you see there, I have no signs of salvation. There's no fruit of salvation. Um, what about this one? You don't really understand the doctrine of assurance. <laughs> you really aren't grasping hold of that. You, you haven't opened that, that, that concordance to look for security, assurance. <laughs> And, of course, as, as we've all mentioned, in one degree, in one realm or another, sin. Sin. We see sin in our lives, and then we doubt, and then we wonder, and we lose assurance. Now, there are those who say we should never doubt our decision to follow Christ. You know, I, I signed the card, I, I prayed the prayer, I, I'm a member of the church. But the Bible tells us to examine ourselves, to see if we are truly in the faith, right? 2 Corinthians 13, 5. And furthermore, Peter says in 2 Peter 1:10, I love this, brothers, sisters, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. Be diligent to make certain his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, now the previous section of what he's saying here, as long as you practice these things, you'll make his calling and assurance sure. What's he talking about? As long as you practice your faith in moral excellence, self-control, godliness, kindness, love, the fruit that comes out of salvation, as long as you practice these things and you're born again and you're in Christ, listen to what it says, you will never stumble. That's a sweet phrase. You'll never stumble. In other words, you won't stumble into doubt, despair, fear, or questioning, but you'll actually enjoy the assurance that you have in Christ that you're saved. So long as you're practicing these things. Notice the scripture didn't say so long as you're practicing them perfectly. So long as as, as though you are perfect, you'll enjoy assurance. No, it doesn't say that. And so, 
As we're going to see here in a moment, thankfully, God has given us ample instruction for how we can know for sure that we have eternal life. And, and this brings us to the letter of 1 John. The letter of 1 John was actually written for this purpose. It has a, a wonderful purpose statement at the end of the letter, of John's letter. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 says... I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Aren't you glad? (laughs) Aren't you glad for that purpose statement? Directly from God to us, these things were written so that you may know your mind so that you may know you're a Christian. Now, there is a series of tests here in 1 John that we can use to examine ourselves and our faith this morning. And as we look at them, remember, again, that no one will perfectly fulfill all of them all the time, okay? But they should reveal a consistent trend that characterizes our lives as we grow in grace. Now, there's been many different test lists for the book of 1 John. Some say there's 10 tests. Some say there's 11. I'm going for 12 this morning. So so I've come up with 12 tests this morning uh, that we'll see um, salt and peppered throughout the book of of 1 John. So I hope you have your Bibles open to 1 John, and we will go with test number one. Look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. What do you think the test is here? What is test number one, you think? For assurance and for being a sign of your salvation. What would you call this test, maybe? I emphasize the word fellowship. So what do you think the test might be? (laughs) Fellowship. uh, What does this fellowship look like? Fellowship. Because the world fellowships. There's a fellowship of the world in their own camps. uh, You name it. Okay, the Father and the Son. What would you Body of believers with the Son, with the Father. Fellowship. Fellowship. This word, fellowship, it it means an intimate partnership. You are tied together. You are bonded. It's really the word koinonia, which really is, is, is the word, if you want to get right down to the raw material, yoke. It refers to a yoke. You are yoked together. You are a family And it's based on what? It's based because of what? Because of who? Because of our triune God. The Father and the Son and their eternal bond, their eternal love, their eternal fellowship. We are brought in to this fellowship. Mind blown. How's your fellowship? The question would go something like this. Do you enjoy having fellowship with Christ and his redeemed people? Simple question. Remember, I just said this morning's going to be a series of questions. Do you enjoy 
fellowship with the Son, with the Father, and with his people, his redeemed people. Do you enjoy that? That's the first test. Test number two. Go to verse, verses six to seven. <clears throat> Apostle John writes, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Now, there are several, several, several different ways we could say this, but what would you say is the test here? What's the test here for a sign of true salvation in one's life? What's that? Walking in the light. Walking in the light. Walking in the light. Uh, if you've read any of Paul's epistles, you know that one of his favorite phrases, other than in Christ is walking, <laughs> walking according to Christ, walking in the light, not walking as the Gentiles walk, not walking as them, but walking in the truth, Ephesians 4, 17. So the test here is what is your practice? How are you walking? And, and again, first century language here, walking is so apropos because most people didn't even travel by animals. If you were going somewhere, you were walking. You were walking. It was a constancy. What is your constancy? What is your habit? What are you known for? Colossians 2.6, the Apostle Paul says, just as you have received the Lord Jesus Christ, so walk in him. This is your pattern. This is your path. This is your habit. This is your constancy. So test number two is your practice, your, your walking. And how that shows up in life. What shades, what shapes, what colors, what does that walk look like? Number three, test number three. First John chapter one, verse eight, as we move forward. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Test number three is really, and as the rest of the chapter unfolds, is confession. Confession. Test number three is confession. We are to be a confessing people. What does it mean to confess? To confess means to say the same thing that God says about sin. Does your heart completely concur with how he explains and defines what sin is and what sin looks like? Do you confess from your heart to your lips and even with your life? I love, I love Proverbs 28 13. And just so I don't misquote it, I want to turn there on confession. Proverbs 28, 13. 
he who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. How blessed is the man who fears always, but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Did you hear that in verse 13? You're hiding your sins, you're covering them up. God says through Solomon, you will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. And in Christ alone, we find true eternal compassion. Confession, confession. Why, why was David called a man after God's own heart? <laughs> it's precisely because of his confession. It's precisely because of his repentant heart. David said the same thing about sin that God said about his sin in Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. That's why he was a man after God's own heart. So question on test number three re regarding confession. Do you admit and confess your sin? Do you admit and confess your sin? Now, I don't know about you, but me being the most prideful person in the universe, it's awfully hard to do. <laughs> Even being saved, being born again, to admit, to confess before God, before the, it's a part of the one another's of Scripture, James. Can you confess it? Do you confess it? If, if you are born again, you will desire this because this is a part of cleansing. <laughs> you hate the hiding of it. You hate the transgression itself. You, you hate it. And so therefore, a true fruit, a sign that will come out in test number three is, is confession. Because verse eight says, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. It's not in us. So number three test is confession. As you go on, before we move to, to, to number four, let's finish the passage. Look at the cleansing work that Christ does in this work of salvation. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say again that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We make him a liar and his word is not in us. If his word is in us, we're going to be in the business of, of confession. <laughs> of confession. Number four, test number four. 1 John 2, verses 3 to 5. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Test number four. Obedience. Our favorite O word, right? Or at least our children's favorite O word. At least it should be becoming their favorite O word, right? Obedience. Why? Because of what it re reflects, of what it means. Did you see that? By this, 
we know that we have come to, to know him if we keep his commandments. There's, there's obedience. Obedience. James 1.22, don't deceive yourselves. If you're, don't be merely hearers of the word, but doers of the word. John 15.10, Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you're truly my disciples. Now, again, you're wondering, oh, Chris, I can't keep his commandments perfectly. I, 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 I can't. You're right. <laughs> you're right. You can't. But what is the disposition of your heart and your love and your affection and your passion? Is it to obey God? Test number four is obedience. Are you obedient to God's word? Is this the pattern? Is this the path? Is this the track that you are on? Or do you, when you think of God's commandments, do you think that they are burdensome? Because later in this letter, he's going to say, his commandments are not burdensome to the true child of God. We love his word. We want to obey his word. I know I can't. I know that Jesus fulfilled the law on my behalf. I love his word. I love his law. He was crushed for my sins because I couldn't keep his perfect word. The true child of God desires to obey, loves to obey, and when he or she does not, we loathe that condition. We loathe it. Test number five, 1 John 2, 15. This one perhaps we're, we're more familiar with. 1 John 2, 15. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Test number five is a love for God. Do you love God? Does your life indicate that you love God rather than, than the world? Um, I was listening to a, a, a John MacArthur Q&A uh, not too long ago, and this, this sweet lady steps up to the microphone, and she's in tears, and asks uh, John MacArthur, how can I know if I, if I have blasphemous thoughts? How can I know that I am truly a child of God? And John MacArthur's response, I believe, is, is spot on. Because his response was, well, you wouldn't be so concerned <laughs> about your condition and your sin if you weren't truly a child of God, broken in sin and in confession here? And then he goes through a series of questions, just like what we're doing this morning out of First John, a series of questions. Do you desire to know God and to love him and to be known by him? And she, she's sort of trepidatious in her answers. She's like, yes. <laughs> Do do you love God's word and want to keep his commandments? And then she says, yes, but I cannot do it perfectly. He said, join the club. Join the club. Amen, Amen is right. We zero back around. 
It has to do with our affections. It has to do with our desires. You've been born again. You're a new creation in Christ. You love God. Does our life indicate that perfectly? No, but backing up to the first chapter, pattern, righteousness, practice, yes. And if you love God, that means you'll go further and, and, and you, you long for his appearing. <laughs> you long to be with him. You long to be made like him. And we'll see that more here in just a moment. Test number six. Test number six is 1 John 2, 229. 2.29. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. This is more clarity for us. Test number six, righteousness. Is your life characterized by doing what is right? By doing what is right. Christ-likeness, the path of righteousness. Aren't you thankful for what Psalm 23 says? He leads us in paths of righteousness, and he'll lead you nowhere else but there. Is righteousness characterizing your life? Number seven, purity. Purity. 1 John 3, 3. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Purity. You know that that's God's will for your life, right? Your sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. Purity. First <laughs> Corinthians 6, 11. Such were some of you after he gives that long list of, of who you once were, what you once were apart from Christ. Such were some of you, but you have been washed, you have been cleansed, you have been sanctified, and therefore now you love purity. You love the pure life. You love holiness because you love God now. You have been born again. Do you seek to maintain a pure life? It's test number seven. And you will seek this purity if you have this, your, if your hope is truly fixed on him. Because when your hope is fixed on him, that purifies yourself, just as he is pure. Test number eight, verses five and six, chapter three, verses five and six, as we move forward. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Test number eight. Do you see a decreasing pattern of sin in your life? A decreasing pattern of sin in your life. And again, we can't just stop here because if, think of it, if you only had these words, <laughs> this, would, this would defeat you, <laughs> right? What are you talking about? I sin. <laughs> well, read a little bit further here in verses seven and eight and nine. 
Look, little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous. Practices righteousness is righteous. Just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. Keyword practice here. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. In other words, cannot sin. In other words, you're not content with that. Again, you hate it. It is detestable to you because of your new life in Christ. So, test number eight is really habits, uh, pattern. What is your habit? What is your pattern? Again, this text refers not to continuing in, sin, in a way of life. It's also not a total absence of sin, right? We have been saved from the power of sin, but not from its presence yet. That will be in glory. Okay? A decreasing pattern of sin in your life. And here's the amazing thing. When you grow in Christ and when you grow in the truth... <laughs> The nearer you get to him in your walk with Christ, right? The purer you become, the more sanctified you become. When you do sin in thought and word and deed, it actually begins to feel worse than when you were a new believer. Because of your closeness to Jesus Christ as you draw nearer to him, you will, feel, you, will, you will feel sometimes, wretched man that I am, rightly so, according to Romans chapter 7, because of your nearness to God, right? Because of your nearness to him. You will grow in hatred of what God hates and in love of what God loves. And there will be a decreasing pattern of sin in your lives. But then when that hits, when that thought or that word, that deed does, does hit, oh, does it make you feel so dirty. <laughs> but just as Spurgeon said, I love what he says, <laughs> for every look that you take at yourself, you better be taking ten long gazes at Jesus Christ. Because as we're going to sing this morning, I think, it was finished upon that cross. You believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ? There will be a decreasing pattern of sin in your life. No, you will not be perfect. Obviously not. But there will be a decreasing pattern of sin. And your habit then will be righteousness and purity because you're a new creation. Test number nine. We move to verse 14 of chapter 3. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Please, someone tell me what test this is. I, I, and I'm just going to tell you right away because this is one of, my, one of my most convicting ones. I'm asking you to give me the answer. What is the test here? What would you say is the test? Oh, wait, is it already on the screen? Oh. Sorry, never mind. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Love for believers. That's right. That's right. You know, growing up, 
um, in some previous churches, I, I would hear this phrase all the time. All the time. And I think that's why it's one of those hard things that I, I have to get rid of <laughs> in my own life. I kept hearing this. Boy, if it wasn't for, for people, it'd be easy to love God. <sighs> oh boy, it's, it's really hard to love people. All the time, growing up. Now before salvation, <laughs> I mean, man, that rang really good in my heart. Yeah, it is hard to love people. <sighs> oh, I wonder why. Because they're sinners? Yeah. What about yourself? I wonder how hard I am to love. <sighs> a love for believers. This is a brand new life, okay? This is life in Christ. John, uh, Jesus said in John 13, 34, right? They will know you are my disciples, my followers, by your love for one another. The, 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 the world looks in and they see the church and they say, what is going on there? They're at peace with one another. They love one another. They care for one another. They, 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 they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. And yes, of course, that then extends into the world. And the light of Christ then shines forth from there. But love for believers. Do you demonstrate love for other Christians? Love for believers. Test number 10. Number 10, verses 18 to 19. 18 to 19. Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. We will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before him. Test number 10 is our deeds. Our deeds. Our deeds. Look. <laughs> we will know this by this that we are of the truth and will assure our hearts before him. Now, just real quickly, go further. Verse 20. In whatever our heart condemns us, and it should, <laughs> for God is greater than our heart, and he knows all things. Aren't you glad? Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. We don't want our heart to condemn us. We want to have confidence before God. We want to have assurance before God, right? Well, then how does that happen? Well, just like back to our second Peter passage as we began, walk the walk. Don't just talk the talk. Flesh it out. Live it out. Walk the walk versus talking the talk. You want to assure your hearts before God? You want to have confidence for him? Walk the walk. Don't just talk the talk. So our deeds, our deeds will show. And, and, and when does our heart condemn us? Our heart condemns us here in this passage when we're not walking as we should be walking, right? Your heart will condemn you. Your heart should condemn you. But God, who is greater than our hearts, knows all things. <laughs> knows that you love him. 
He knows the finished work of his son completely on your behalf. So your deeds, our deeds, our deeds will show, walk the walk. Don't just talk the talk. And boy, we as parents, right, we can, that can be a big conviction, right? In that little, in those four walls, right? Uh, among your children, right? Son, daughter, forgive me. That's not walking in the light. That's not walking in the truth. My deeds have not shown that. I want to walk the walk, not just talk the talk. And so that even goes, goes further here in our next test. Don't worry, we're almost done. Number 11, test number 11, 1 John 3, 21. Again, beloved, if our heart can, does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. In other words, another way to put it is your conscience. Your conscience. Do you maintain a clear conscience or is it getting clouded? This is a gift from the Lord, the conscience that he has given to us. Do you maintain a clear conscience? Number 12. Test number 12. 1 John 5, verses 4 to 5. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Test number 12 is, is there increasing victory in your life? Increasing victory. Let me ask this real quickly, just in light of verse 4. What does it mean to overcome the world? What does it mean to overcome the world? We should really know this full well because we live in the world. does not possess you as it once did before you came to Christ, before you were born again. Amen. Good. Does not possess you. Good. What else? Freedom. Freedom. Yeah, freedom for, for what? Freedom, freedom from what? Freedom to what? Freedom from sin. Freedom from sin. Free to obey. Free to serve. That's freedom. That's true freedom. <laughs> That's increasing victory. Amen. It, beloved, this morning, it is necessary to engage in spiritual warfare because the world and your flesh, it will still cling to your ankles. It still will. So we are to engage in spiritual warfare. We are to arise above constantly the world's ways and world's thinking and resist worldly peer pressure to be like we once were. I remember what my, my dad would often tell me, a phrase he would often leave with me. He'd say, son, swim upstream. <laughs> swim upstream. I, I, in fact, I saw a shirt of that, a t-shirt the other day, <laughs> all this, this swarm of, of, of fish going down river, and you saw one little tiny fish just 
going against the whole flow. What are you doing, fool? Go with the rest of them. Nope. That's not the Christian life. You are swimming upstream, and by his spirit and his word dwelling richly within you, you will swim upstream, and you will have increasing victory. Do you experience victory in your Christian walk? Increasing victory. So, um, that is just skimming through the book of 1 John. But, again, why was this, why this letter? Why these tests? Remember what the purpose statement is of this letter? Why? Chapter 5, verse 13, right? So that you may know that you have eternal life. If you are able this morning, dear, dear people this morning, young and old, if you are able to truthfully answer yes to these questions that we've gone through, these, these 12 tests and questions, or the, the majority of them even, and are working on others, and you have that, that conviction here, then your life is bearing the fruit of true salvation. But also be warned of this. Conviction is one thing, but conviction for the believer will lead to change. Conviction does not remain simply conviction. Listen, the world is convicted. Okay, the Spirit came, and even in John chapter 16, the Spirit's come to convict the world of sin. The world knows. But conviction leads to change. So if your life is bearing the fruit of true salvation, Jesus said that it is by our fruits, it's by your fruits that you're known as a disciple, right? Matthew 7, 20. Fruitless branches, professing believers who do not display the fruit of the Spirit, are cut off and thrown into the fire, John 15, 6. Genuine faith not only believes in God because the demons believe and they tremble, but genuine faith leads to open confession of sin and obedience to Christ's commands. Remember, (laughs) we are saved by grace through faith, not our works, as one other gentleman just told us earlier. It's not by our works. It's by grace through faith alone, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. But our works should and will display the reality of our salvation, James 2. Genuine saving faith will always produce works. A faith that is perpetually without works is no faith at all and saves no one. We need to remember God's promises. Uh, On the flip side, we need to remember God's promises and the reality of the war that we are in. Satan is just as real as Jesus Christ. And he is the formidable enemy of our souls. He is the adversary, the liar, the deceiver who prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And what is, what is our response to that? First Peter 5, 8 and 9 says, resist him. Resist him, because you can. The faith that he's given to us has overcome the world. Resist him. How do you resist him? Renew your mind. Put off. Renew your mind. Put on. Clothe yourself in Christ. Remind yourselves of these blessed promises, these blessed truths that we're safe and secure in the arms of Christ.
when we turn to Christ, Satan will look for every opportunity to bring doubt, discouragement in your life, to deceive you, to defeat you. He will try to convince us that we are unworthy failures, as one of you mentioned earlier, and that God even has given up on us because we're such wretched worms. However, when we are in Christ, don't you love Romans 8.1? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. <laughs> we therefore have assurance, and we are, I love, I love verse 1 of Jude and verse 21. I love all the in-between, too, about the warnings of apostasy as well. I love that. But verse 1 of Jude and verse 21, and you have to have those together. Jude 1 and 21. Why? Because we have the assurance there that we are, this one simple word, <laughs> kept. We are kept by God. Jude 1 <laughs> we are kept by God. Kept. But then you know what verse 21 says <laughs> at the end of the letter? There's the command to keep yourself in the love of God. And they go hand in hand, don't they? We are kept. So keep yourselves in the love of God. And that's our joyful duty. That's our joyful delight. Jesus himself even further prayed for us in the high priestly prayer of John 17, 11. He prayed that the Father would protect them by the power of your name so that they may be one as we are one. And by the way, um, all of Jesus' prayers are answered because <laughs> he prays perfectly in the will of the Father. So, that prayer is answered. And again, in verse 15 of John 17, he prayed, Father, keep them from the evil one. Guess what? <laughs> he does. And he is. Aren't you thankful to God for your great high priest who intercedes for you even now? He is able to save forever, completely, those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them, Hebrews 7.25. Do you realize how busy the eternal Son of God is right now in interceding on our behalf? Keeping us, keeping us because of his finished work and because of his indelible grace his incredible love. As we wrap it up, John 10, 27 to 29, Jesus said, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one, again, no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I don't know if you noticed the Trinity at work here. <laughs> In one sense, he says, they will not snatch 
They will not be snatched out of my hand. They will not be snatched out of my Father's hand. You have the triune God of the universe holding you, keeping you. When your sins, my sins, deserve everything but that, the sheer love of God calls us, draws us, and keeps us in an ever-changing world where nothing is kept and nothing is sure and nothing is for sure. Yes, I know, except for taxes and death, this is for sure. You're kept in the cause and effect. Cause and effect. If you hear and obey my voice, they're my sheep. And he will never let you go. We're in his hands. This, this assurance of eternal security by the triune God. One last text. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 gives us what we, is known as the, the golden chain link of salvation. Knowing what we deserve knowing that we can't pass these tests of salvation apart from the sheer grace of God, and perhaps having a, 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 a heart that condemns you because of sin that you've been toying with, but you're a child of God, and you hate it, and you love him, let's read this wonderful promise in closing. Chapter 8, verses 30 to the end. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. God is the one who makes you righteous. God is the one who makes you stand pure and blameless before his glory with great delight. Verse 34, who is the one who condemns? Uh, Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Well, tribulation, distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly, 
overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us, through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And, and you might stop there at the end of this magnificent text and say, Yeah, that's great. That's, that's, that's wonderful and all. But what about me? Can I separate because of my wretchedness, because of my sin, because of what I've done? What about me? <clears throat> Student of the word, back up to what we just read. Oh, it said, not one created thing. <laughs> You're a created thing. I'm a created thing. You're created in the image of God. And you see what he's done for sinners like you and me? That will ignite your heart to wonder, love, and praise, to fight the battle of sin joyfully, knowing that your victory is in Christ alone, not in you, not in someone else, not in a circumstance, but Christ alone. This is why we proclaim him and him alone. So, with these tests, may your heart, dear believe this morning, may your heart be comforted beyond measure. And if you're not in Christ this morning, your heart does condemn you rightly. Because as Romans 2.15 said, God's written it on all man's hearts. You have a conscience. You know and now you have the words of life. What are you going to do with the words of life? Just as we're going to hear in a few moments from Hebrews chapter 3, beware of an unbelieving heart. But do you believe this morning? Praise God. That's because he's wrought the faith in you. Do you believe this morning? Awesome. Keep believing. Run the race. Glorify Christ. It's him and him alone who's done the work of saving you, of redeeming you by his shed blood. And his blood was not shed in vain. His sheep will hear his voice and they will follow. Yes, even the bleating of the sheep, they will follow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, Sin indeed hinders our ability to see clearly. Thank you, Father, for what you have done to save us from our sin. May we stand afresh and amazed by what you've done for us. Lord, you want us to know that we have life in your Son. You, Lord, delight not in slavish fear among believers, but you delight in our assurance that we are your adopted children. So, Lord, may we have joyful, reassured hearts this morning, even that, that when we fear that our faith will fail, we know that you'll hold us fast. And when the tempter would prevail, Lord, you will hold us fast. 
Lord, you know that we could never keep our hold through life's fearful path. For Lord, our love is often cold. So you must hold us fast. Lord, we know, we rejoice in the truth that we were bought by you at such a cost. We know that for our life you bled and died and justice has been satisfied. And we know, Lord, that we are raised with you to endless life. Help us, Lord, to rejoice in the fact that you hold us fast until our faith is turned to sight when you come at last. Lord, be glorified in this, this next coming hour as we sing your praises, as we fellowship with your people. May we sing like we've never sang before, and may our hearts leap with joy like never before because we are one day closer to being with you in the glories of heaven. It's in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen.